while you're doing that, okay, I want you to answer a question of, have you been on a good road trip before? And if so, where did you go and what did you see? If you have not been on a road trip, where would you want to go and what would you want to see? All right, so introduce yourself to a couple of people and answer that question. You got like a few minutes. All right, you guys can have a seat. Well done meeting people around you and sharing stories. We love that. Uh, welcome back. It is good to be back. It's exciting to be in this room with you guys. Um, my name is Ben. I'm on staff with Campus Ministry, and I love that I get to be here in this room with you guys. Uh, I've been on a few road trips in my life. Uh, I've done a few road trips with spring break trips, Campus Ministry stuff. That's been really fun. Woo uh, when I was just getting out of college, me and a couple of my friends, we went on a road trip down to Missouri to do a surprise visit for my friend Mike. Uh, and in the middle of the night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, we ran out of gas, so that was fun. Uh, and then in 2009, uh, Stacy and I went on a road trip out to Olympia, Washington. And we went out there because we found this random summer camp job at Black Lake Bible Camp in Olympia, Washington. And so, uh, this is 2009. This is before I had my first smartphone, okay? So the night before we left, we pulled out this thing. Uh, it's like a really big book, and it's got like shapes on it and lines on it. It's called an atlas. An atlas is what it's called. And we had to use our finger to try to figure out, okay, we're going to go from Holland, Michigan to Olympia, Washington, and what roads might make the most sense for us to do that. Uh, and while we were mapping out our, our trip, we were also kind of trying to decide where we're going to stop along the way because, you know, the best part about road trips is it's not just about getting to the destination, it's the journey, right? And it's the stops along the way to visit these different things. So, um, just kidding, I had to turn on. So this is what the map would look like on Google nowadays. So we left from Holland and we drove this way to Olympia, Washington in our 1996 Geo Prism. Yeah. It was amazing. We prayed every day that we would make it another day. Right? Uh, and we decided, okay, so we're driving out there and all of a sudden we started seeing these signs for this thing called the Corn Palace. Has anybody been to the world's only corn palace before? Okay, we got a few of you. I had never heard of the corn palace before. But literally, as we're driving, there's like a zillion signs that say, corn palace, next exit, corn palace, turn here, corn palace. There's a zillion signs. We just kept following the signs. Let's go see the only corn palace in the world. Uh, and so what the corn palace is, is a palace made of corn. This palace is made of corn. And that's about all it is, as far as I understand. So we're like, okay, we saw the corn palace. It's a little underwhelming, but whatever. It's a little weird. So we kept driving. Uh, we, we were in South Dakota, and so we decided, let's go see the Mount Rushmore as well, right? So the morning we arrived at Mount Rushmore, it was a beautiful, foggy morning. It was amazing. I literally asked if we could just go look at it for free because there's no way to pay money to go see that, right? She didn't budge. 
Eventually, we could make out the faces in the fog, so that was a good time. Uh, we kept driving west. We drove through Yellowstone, which is beautiful and amazing uh, for those of you that have been there. We're driving through Montana, and the sun was setting. It was just amazing over the mountains. Uh, and while, that was, while I was like, you know, fixated on the sunset, I wasn't really paying attention to what I was doing. Uh, next thing I know, I'm being pulled over. Uh, I was speeding when I was driving through the mountains of Montana. And apparently in Montana, when you get pulled over, you don't just like sit in your car, you sit in the cop car. So I had to get out of my car and go sit in the cop car. And I'm like, oh man, I'm really toast, right? All I was doing is speeding. Uh, but thankfully, he only gave me a warning. Uh, and the reason he gave me a warning is because he said, you know, at dusk, these animals come out at night. They're moose. And if you hit a moose, you lose. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. Uh, I'll take the warning. Thank you. And I will slow down. Uh, but eventually, we made it all the way to Olympia, Washington, uh, and we had an amazing summer serving at Black Lake Bible Camp. Uh, Stacy and I were the staff pastor couple uh, of Black Lake Bible Camp. It basically means we were caring for and loving on the college-age students that were um, the summer staff uh, serving the kids that were coming to camp that summer. Anyway, I love road trips. That's one of the road trips that I was on. But the thing that's amazing about road trips is there's this... Oh, that's Black Lake Bible Camp. Who cares? Uh, life... <laughs> I care. Uh, life is a journey, not a destination, right? You've heard this phrase before. Um, last semester, we were diving into the Gospel of Mark together. And we were looking specifically at Jesus' life and ministry in the Galilee region. Uh, and our series last semester was With Jesus in Galilee According to the Gospel of Mark. And last semester, we talked over and over and over again about the importance of place in the Bible because where the story happens often um, gives us incredible insight or more insight into the significance of the story for us. So uh, if you were here with us last semester, this map might look familiar to you, hopefully it would look familiar to you. And we talked about over and over again the different people groups around the lake. Over here were the Herodians. I won't review all of this in detail for now, but the Herodians were here, the religious Jewish people were here, the religious fanatics known as the Zealots were up here, the Decapolis was filled with pagans who didn't care at all about God or the Bible or anything like that. And so when Jesus was doing his ministry in the Galilee, where he was doing these, these miracles or where he was doing these teachings were very significant because the audience was very different all the way around the lake. Now, the first half of Mark's gospel focuses here, Jesus' life and ministry in Galilee. Who is Jesus? Is he really the Messiah? This is the questions that Mark is kind of asking. The second half of the Gospel of Mark uh, takes place in Jerusalem and kind of addresses how Jesus became the Messiah or the Messianic King. And right in the very middle of Mark's Gospel, in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10, there's three different times that Jesus gathers his disciples together and says, hey guys, here's what's coming. Eventually, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be killed. But three days later, I will rise again. And the disciples are like, wait, what? What's going on? So in chapter 8, he says this. In chapter 9, he says this. And again, in chapter 10, Jesus says this. And this is kind of the turning point in Mark's gospel. It kind of goes from Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, this is coming. Hey, this is coming. And then chapter 10, they kind of turn their face towards Jerusalem. And Jesus said, okay, this is where we're going, and this is what's coming up. Um, so this semester, we are going to look at the second half of Mark's gospel, 
Uh, we're going to look at Jesus in Jerusalem according to the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you do not have a Bible, you can go ahead and raise your hand. We have some people in the back that would love to um, give you one, and you can follow along if you'd like. If you have this thing called a smartphone, you can use that as well. <clears throat> Those are helpful. Mark chapter 10. So verse 1 of chapter 10 is where Jesus officially begins his journey south uh, towards the region of Jerusalem. But we're going to look at verse 32 tonight, starting at verse 32. Mark 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Okay, I want to stop there a second. They are on the road going up to Jerusalem. Okay, so we have this map here. Uh, Jesus is in the Galilee region, like Capernaum, and he's going this way south to Jericho and eventually to Jerusalem. So why in the world does the text say he was going up to Jerusalem if he's going south? Right? Here in West Michigan, we like to go on vacation, right, in the summertime. And where do we like to vacation when we live in Michigan? Up north, right? Okay, we like to go up north. Now, I have no idea where the line is or where you've crossed from south to north, right, when you're going on vacation up north. But in the summertime, we like to go up north. And in the wintertime, we like to go down south so we can, you know, not freeze our butts off, Right? But why is it when Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, he's going south and he's going up to Jerusalem? It's not an accident when they put that here. This phrase actually occurs 23 different times in the text. And it doesn't matter what direction you're coming from. You're always going up to Jerusalem. Now some of that is geography or topography because Jerusalem is actually up on a mountain. And so no matter where you're coming from, you're also climbing a hill up to Jerusalem. <clears throat> now the other reason why it was people went up to Jerusalem, is because Jerusalem was considered a holy city. Okay, it was a major city. Now, I want to do a really quick, brief snapshot on why Jerusalem was significant. Okay, here's a few stories that took place in Jerusalem. Maybe. There's a story of Abraham and Isaac, and he goes up on Mount Moriah, and he is told to sacrifice his son Isaac. That takes place on Mount Moriah, and that is in, traditionally, in Jerusalem. Uh, we, there's a guy by the name of David, and he fights this guy named Goliath. After he defeats Goliath, he becomes king, and David becomes king, and he moves his capital to the city of Jerusalem. After David, his son Solomon takes over the throne, and Solomon is instructed by God to build a temple. Okay, Now, artists say this might have been what Solomon's temple looked like. Now, here's the thing I need to say about a temple. A temple, this temple, was God's house. Now, I know that doesn't really do much for us here in 2019 because, for me, God is everywhere all the time, right? I mean, he, he always has been, he always will be, whatever. But in the Old Testament, this was where he lived. So if you wanted to go meet with God, you had to go to Jerusalem. God's house was in Jerusalem. 
586 BC, the Babylonians came in, they destroyed Jerusalem, and they wiped out the temple, and then all the people that lived in Jerusalem were thrown out of Jerusalem. Many years later, they eventually came back, and there were these people by the name of Ezra and Nehemiah. Maybe you've heard of them. They helped rebuild Jerusalem. They helped rebuild another temple, a second temple. And then later, there's a guy by the name of Herod the Great, who was king in the area at the time when Jesus was born. Herod the Great helped expand the city of Jerusalem, and he expanded the temple to make it look even more magnificent than almost any other temple in the world, maybe even. And it would have looked something like this. This is the temple from the time of Jesus. And the rest of it is the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you notice, the temple is dominating the city. It's not just this small like church kind of tucked away in the corner. This was the reason why people went to Jerusalem. It took over the city. Now, so Jerusalem is a big deal. And in fact, in the Old Testament, three different times, God tells his people to go to Jerusalem to worship him for three different festivals. Um, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Weeks, which in the New Testament we call Pentecost, and then also the festival of Passover. So three different times a year, God tells all his people from all over the world, if you want to come worship me, you come to Jerusalem and you celebrate these festivals here. They estimate that maybe 100,000 people lived in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. And then the festivals would come and maybe a million people would be in the land. Maybe it's sort of like Ann Arbor in the fall on a Saturday, right? You've got a bunch of people that live in Ann Arbor and then all of a sudden there's a football game that's going on and a zillion people show up from all over the place and descend on the city. That's kind of what it would be like uh, in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus for one of these festivals. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem because Passover is coming. And so Jesus and his disciples and a caravan of people are all on their way down south up to Jerusalem. Okay? Um, but Jesus knows that his journey to Jerusalem on this Passover will be unlike all the other times he has visited Jerusalem on Passover. Let's continue our story. We'll just start it over again. Um, Mark 10, 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so Jesus is, by this time in Mark's gospel, Jesus is a pretty well-known superstar rabbi, if you will, right? Uh, he's on a road trip. He's traveling with his disciples and probably a large caravan of other people. We're all going together for a few days. We're going to head, you know, south up to Jerusalem um, for the festival of Passover. And while they were on their way, Jesus tells his disciples about his impending death and subsequent resurrection. Now, <clears throat> maybe the conversation Jesus was having with his disciples was sort of like a conversation you've had this week. And what I mean by that is not 
content-wise, because I think content-wise, you had a very different week, right? Uh, but this week, you guys were reviewing a lot of, you guys had syllabus week, right? Woohoo! Yay, syllabus week, okay? And so you sat in a class, and a professor gives you a syllabus, and says, basically, when the professor gives you a syllabus, it basically says, okay, here's where we are, here's where we're going, and here are some of the steps we're going to do along the way. And by the time we get to the end of the semester in April, here's what the goals are, here's what I'm hoping you are, uh, here's what you know, or here's what you're able to do. Okay? And now when you receive the syllabus and you review the syllabus, there's people in here who have very different reactions. Right? Okay, so some of you receive the syllabus and you're like, man, I am pumped about this class. I can't wait to dive into this stuff. Said like three of you. Others of you look at this stuff and you say, holy cow, I have to do like all this work tomorrow and you're just overwhelmed by the stuff you have to do all semester long and you feel like you have to do it in one week, right? And you don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Love you, man. Others of you are like, uh, I, am I in the wrong room? I, I do not. Did anybody, did anybody drop a class after receiving the syllabus this week? Yeah, yeah, there you go. You're like, I am not signing up for this, right? I am not doing this. So content-wise, very, very, very different, right? But I feel like in a way, Jesus is giving a syllabus to his disciples and say, hey, look, this is where we are and this is where we are going. Are you coming with me? And the disciples are kind of like, what? Every time he says it, the disciples have no idea what to do with what Jesus is saying. Yet they followed and they stayed the course. I often think about what was going on in the minds of the disciples at this point. Jesus says this. And, like, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, let's think about this for a second. Let's be rational, can we? So you're saying if we continue south to Jerusalem, we're going to go to Passover, and you're going to die. Or we could just turn around and skip Passover this year, and we would all be fine. Like, don't you think at some point the disciples might have been thinking something like this? Yet Jesus, it says that they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. This is where we're going. And they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. They were amazed. They were afraid. I think this is what it's like to follow Jesus sometimes. Sometimes we will be amazed and sometimes we will be afraid. Some of you are here tonight feeling amazed. Maybe you, you know, maybe you resonate with uh, Lindsay's story, right? I mean, there's these things that God is doing in your life, and you're like, I can't believe that this is my story, and he's just doing all these things, and I am just amazed at what God is doing in me and around me and through me. Maybe that's your story. Or maybe you're amazed by the way that God has provided friends and community here at Grand Valley. Or maybe you're amazed by the miraculous provision you've received for a spring break trip this year. 
Or maybe you're amazed by what God is doing in your friend's life. Or maybe you're amazed by a miraculous report from a doctor for your family member this week. There are all these things that can happen along the way that cause us to be amazed and answer to prayer or whatever it is. We are amazed and we want to continue following Jesus. But there are also those who followed who were afraid. And there are some of us in this room tonight who are afraid. Right? Maybe you're new to Grand Valley. You don't have friends. You don't have community. You don't know what the heck is. You don't even know where your classes are yet. You're trying to figure out all these things. It's all new and it's daunting and you are afraid. Maybe you're afraid of being here at the well tonight. Maybe you're afraid of me. I'm tall and weird. That's fine. Maybe you're afraid of the person you're sitting next to. Don't look at them. <laughs> maybe, but maybe you, maybe you struggle with depression. Or maybe you struggle with anxiety. Or maybe you struggle with sexual sin. Or maybe you struggle with an eating disorder. And you are wondering, is it always going to be like this? And you're afraid. By the way, if this is you, we would love to help you. Maybe you are afraid because you are overwhelmed by your class schedule this year or an internship that's coming up. Or maybe you're a graduating senior and you look ahead and you know that April is coming and you have no idea what to do next. And you're afraid. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. In the summer of 2009 at Black Lake Bible Camp in Olympia, Washington, Stacy and I had an amazing summer. It was a really great summer. We, had, we met some amazing people who loved Jesus. We saw God do incredible things in and around and through the staff with kids. Very, very, very memorable. We're still friends with some of those students we hung out with back then. But it was also a very hard summer for us. See, Stacy and I, we, uh, we quit the jobs we had in Michigan to just go do this random summer camp job, which maybe was a poor life choice, but that's what we did, okay? Uh, so we're out in Olympia, Washington, and all summer long we are applying for jobs, interviewing for jobs, trying to figure out, God, what are we supposed to do next? And we're applying and we're interviewing and we're looking and we're surfing the internet like every free minute we have trying to figure out what is going to happen next. And as the weeks went on in camp, my anxiety level continued to rise. And then we flipped the calendar to August. And camp is almost over. And when camp is over, we literally have no idea, are we supposed to drive back to Michigan? We don't have a house there anymore because the people that we were living with just sold their house. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. And we were afraid. And then somehow, mysteriously and miraculously, we heard about this job opening opportunity at this thing called Campus Ministry at GVSU. And we made a couple phone calls, and we had some phone interviews, and a few days later, we were driving back to Michigan to start our jobs here at Grand Valley. Okay. But of course, 
But of course, a road trip is not just about the destination. You have to stop and do some fun things along the way, right? So we camped uh, on our way back, and we camped uh, out in the desert of eastern Oregon one night. We camped right along Salt Lake in Utah one night. We camped on Mirrored Lake in Colorado. It was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. Uh, and then we came back here to Grand Valley, and we literally dropped off our stuff in the house we were in for five minutes. And then the next morning, we drove to campus, and we were like, okay, we're supposed to start day one here. And we came, and we arrived, and we were uh, meeting some people over by the clock tower. And there was this reunion that happened with two students that I witnessed, okay? Uh, there's a term that I've heard recently. Uh, it's called koala-ing. Okay, that's what these two students were doing. It was like the hug and the leg wrap thing, you know, with lots of squealing from these girls. They were very excited to see each other after a very, very, very long summer. But in that moment, I had this realization that I don't know the name of one person on this entire campus. And I was afraid. Yet in the midst of being afraid, I was also excited about this journey and this opportunity and trusting that there will be amazing things that lie ahead. And now, Stacey and I have 10 years of stories of what God has done over and over and over and over again in so many of your lives. And we are simply amazed. Tonight, whether you are amazed or whether you are afraid or whether you're both at the same time, that's a, that's a thing and that's okay. We just want you to know that Jesus invites you to come and to journey with him. If you feel afraid, keep walking. Keep trusting. Keep following. Jesus has things to show you. Trust him and enjoy every step of the journey. If you are amazed, keep walking. Keep following. Keep trusting there is more for you than you can possibly imagine. I'm confident of that. The best is yet to come for you. No matter who you are or where you are in this journey, there's incredible hope. And there is hope, there's always hope, because just as Jesus predicted, he was delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they condemned him to death delivered to the Gentiles and they mocked him and they spit on him and they flogged him and they killed him. And three days later, he rose. And this is why we have hope. And this is why there is hope whether you are afraid or whether you are amazed. Jesus invited his disciples and other followers to come with him on his journey to Jerusalem. And we also, this semester, we want to invite you to journey along with us this semester as we, as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. As he walks towards Jerusalem and as he walks towards the cross. Jesus' journey to Jerusalem is the most significant event in the history of the world. And I, and I imagine, like, 
as Jesus, I mean, Jesus knows this is coming. This is not catching him by surprise. He knows this is coming. And I, and I imagine that as it gets closer and closer and closer, his, his purpose and his mission and his vision and his conversations and the things he's doing are even more and more intentional. Right? You ever been with somebody that knows that the end of their life is near? The stuff that doesn't really matter, they don't even talk about it anymore. Jesus, the king and creator of the universe, the end is near for him. And so as we look at his life and his story for these last several, or couple weeks of his life, there's lots of stories in here of his encounters with people and the teachings that he's doing that are significant for our lives. And so this semester, we want to just journey with Jesus towards Jerusalem. And as we do so, discover what does it mean for us to follow him. And as we journey with him, it's okay to be amazed. And it's okay to be afraid. The question is, are you willing to follow him? Please pray with me. Jesus, we, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for this story. God, there are people in here tonight who have heard the story of Jesus, who have heard the story of the cross many, many, many times. But God, I pray that as we look at these stories these next several weeks, I pray that we will see them with fresh eyes and that our hearts will be opened in new ways. I pray that we will continue to follow in your footsteps and that we will celebrate the times that we are amazed and that we will trust you and we will keep following you at the times that we are afraid and we want to follow at a greater distance. God, we are grateful for this space and we are grateful for this community. We are grateful for the things that you are doing in our midst. May we continue to celebrate you and your faithfulness. May we continue to wrap our hearts and our minds around how great your love is for us as you stayed the course and walked to Jerusalem. May we give our lives and our hearts to you today and tomorrow and for what is yet to come for our lives. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.